Welcome to the TC Podcast. Josh Larson here with a quick note about this episode. As we've done before, we're sharing the audio from our online gathering of the TC Movie Club. This time, a discussion of Joel and Ethan Cohen's True Grit. This was the last gathering for our series on the films of the Cohen brothers. We've been calling it O Brothers, Where Art Thou? as we've looked at a handful of their movies through an Old Testament, New Testament framework. That doesn't mean it's the end of the movie club, however. We're sifting through feedback from current club members and considering what might be ahead. If you want to join the club and find out what that future is, just sign up at thinkchristian.net slash movie club. And if you want to watch the video essays I've made for each film to jumpstart our movie club discussions, you can find those on the Think Christian YouTube channel. All four videos for Fargo, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, No Country for Old Men, and True Grit are up there. We'll return with regular episodes of the podcast shortly with a special episode on Stranger Things. For now, enjoy our TC Movie Club discussion on True Grit. Welcome, everyone, to the TC Movie Club, our last gathering for our series on the Coen Brothers. We've made our way to True Grit, one of my personal favorites. I'm very excited to dive in and have another good discussion about True Grit in this Old Testament, New Testament framework that we've been following throughout this series. Uh, Along with um, Zachary Lee, I'm Josh Larson, Think Christian editor, and uh, your host, Zachary Lee, is also a Think Christian writer, and he's going to be our chat monitor, as he has before. And I'm pleased to bring in a new guest, but a regular name to Think Christian followers. She writes for us on the website and is also one of our rotating guests on the TC podcast. It's Catherine Freeman. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, I'm so excited to be with you guys today. It is great to have you. And from what I understand, uh, True Grit is uh, one of your favorite Coen Brothers films. So I'd like to start there and tell us a little bit about your relationship with the Coen brothers in general, if you're a completist, have seen everything of theirs, or just a couple of titles, and of those, True Grit has stood out to you. So yeah, talk to us a little bit about the Coen brothers, um, and then maybe where you came across True Grit, and what do you what you like about that movie? So I feel very um, underqualified <laughs> to talk about the Coen brothers. I'm sure everyone here has more knowledge about their work than I do. Um, I have like a special relationship with True Grit. It, as I'm thinking about it, it's probably the only Coen Brothers movie that has like stuck with me if I have seen other ones. Um, I think for me, why True Grit is really special is um, my dad and I, my dad is very into Westerns. I've seen the original True Grit with John Wayne, who was one of my dad's favorite actors. And so when it came out in theaters, we went to see it. And then I think I was just kind of blown away by um, the writing and um, Haley Stenfield's performance. And so I think, um, and then I think also to me, just like the overt biblical themes, like the reoccurring of like leaning on the everlasting arms, um, really stuck with me. So I, I feel not qualified to give any sort of opinion on Coen brothers as a whole. Um, but I really, I really love true grit. I think it's just a fantastic movie. Well, that's fine because we have plenty of folks here. I can tell you who will be able to make millions of connections to all the Coen Brothers films. So we have that angle covered. Um, I like bringing in a fresh perspective every once in a while, and sometimes folks like that can notice things about these movies that uh, the devotees, like myself, kind of um, get lost or we get too mired in the weeds, maybe of what a Coen Brother movie is. So I'm happy to have your perspective, and I definitely want to hear from you about uh, this, how it fits for you in this framework that we've been considering all of their films in, but you mentioned it right away, you know, just without the background of their other other movies, you picked up on how biblical this film was. So we've been talking, you know, for a couple of movies now about, is it fair to um, label these movies as Old Testament or New Testament? Maybe not, we've been doing it anyway. That means different things to different people, what an Old Testament movie might be compared to a New Testament. And we've had a lot of fun exploring, I think, the through line, connecting um, both uh, books of the Bible and kind of making um, comments and connections between how these movies seem to represent how the Old Testament and New Testament are connected. So 
tell me a little bit about that. Um, tell me maybe how you think about that question, the, you know, the, the Old Testament, New Testament question. And then if you were pinned or let's say forced to be on a Zoom call where people were expecting you to answer this, would you say True Grit is an Old Testament movie or a New Testament one? So I, what struck me is just the lesson I think as like someone just coming to the film um, and, and not knowing the Coen brothers, like total catalog, it's just, I mean, the truism that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, like the idea that, and I think I see this like wrestling. It was so interesting to me. Like I went back and watched it and preparing for this and little things that I had forgotten is that like, she specifically picked Rooster Cogburn, not because he was like the best, but because he was the least likely to bring his person in for like trial. Um, and this sort of warring between like true justice and then just like just straight up vengeance and i think even in her sort of initial like re-encounter with cheney um you know she's like i'm gonna bring you in like there are marshals with me and then kind of her ending up shitting him and taking kind of that sort of um vengeance into her own hands and then ending up in a dark pit which felt very like on the nose allegorical <laughs> um, to me in terms of like scripture of like this is exactly why you don't do this um because it will put you in a dark place um and you will end up snake bitten and so so i think that sort of this sort of thing i also too like the journey like that you're often on for justice or vengeance and like that it isn't something that's swift i think to me um i think even just in the confines of like you know humanity and like not being in heaven and us not being perfect um in our pursuits of justice um yeah so i think even just like the journey um that they went on it just reminded me of sort of that like epic those sort of like arcs in um the old testament and seeking out sort of um and her seeking out of like justice or vengeance the sort of which one is it going to be um and where she ends up landing um so that i think to me was like very um sort of on the nose and i think in terms of where i would put the film old testament or new testament i feel like it's really hard i mean i think her journey is very to me like because she chooses vengeance it feels a little old testament but then i think even just sort of her relationship with rooster and sort of the like mentorship and the bond that they're able to form and like in the ways in which they sort of journey together reminds me of how Jesus journeys with us um, and how he's um, like molding us and shaping us. And I think, um, so I, it, to me, I feel like it doesn't fit solidly in one way or the other. I mean, I do think someone put this in the chat, but I did notice under my rewatch that she often is very strict interpretation of the law. Like, she is very, um, in the way in which she talks to people, she is not kind at all. <laughs> She's very direct. <laughs> um, and I think um, Matt Damon's character, whose name is escaping me, was like, LaBeouf, was like, you, I don't know if, 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 like, to spank you, like, you're just, you can't talk to people like that. And so, um, but yeah, I think, I thought that it kind of, she is very, um, yeah, I feel like she's very Old Testament. Like she needs a like a Sermon on the Mount. You've heard this said, but now I say this kind of thing. So that would be if you put me on the spot, I would probably lean. She's definitely more Old Testament than New Testament. Okay, interesting. And I like that you brought Rooster in because I think as you describe the journey she takes, there's a journey for him as well, which is maybe mm -hmm. something we'll dive into along those lines. Um, the vengeance in mine, uh, the vengeance is mine. You know, that reference makes me think about another movie dealing with this thing, the Batman, right? We just kind of covered that on the website and on the TC podcast. Um, so yeah, a lot at play here, which maybe makes this, um, more of a tricky choice. And in the video essay I made, you know, I kind of explored this idea of vengeance in the old Testament, because there is the, the truth that the law is in place to allow God's justice to be served on earth. And so in that sense, it's just not that, but there's a difference, as you're saying, Catherine, between vengeance and justice. I think that's what the, the movie is kind of exploring and makes this, this question tricky. So thank you for that, Catherine. You're going to vote uh, Old Testament. And that reminds me that I am going to launch the poll. 
um, <laughs> right now, which we do with each of our gatherings, um, something a little silly, but kind of fun to see where everybody lands at the end. So pretty simple there. People can uh, choose Old Testament or New Testament um, and vote now if you're confident. But if you're not, we're about to jump into a lot of discussion. So you might want to hold off your vote and see if you're swayed one way um, or the other. So James Decker, they're asking, is there a middle view I see in the chat? And yes, um, those of us who have, who have uh, joined for previous discussions know in reality, that's kind of where we always end up. I think somewhere in the middle, that intertestamental place that um, one of our uh, guests brought up, I think last time or maybe the time before that, but I think it was with No Country for Old Men. So yes, uh, absolutely there's place in the middle, but unfortunately not in our poll. So you must choose one in our poll. Uh, Josh, okay. I was about to bring up, I know Bar just put this in the chat about doesn't Maddie only quote OT verses? So I feel like you might have to make another poll later to see, yeah, what do people think? Are there, does she only quote Versus from the OT or, or NT. That might be an interesting. Great observation that I, yeah. that sounds right to me, but yeah, without exactly, going yeah. back on a, <laughs> on a close reading of, of the film itself, that definitely sounds right. So, all right, I've made my case in the video. Catherine just weighed in. Um, why don't we open this up for people who want to make an argument for this as either Old Testament or New Testament or talk about that middle space. As before, try to keep it brief so that we can get to as many people Amen. as possible. And I will try to set aside a little time at the end where we can talk about other aspects of the film as well so we don't just get stuck in this area. Once more, for those of you who joined us late, uh, go ahead and use that raise hand feature. I see Tim has already done that. Um, so that will bump you in line and we'll know who to get to next. Um, it's, uh, a one, it's a button at the bottom of your Zoom screen there. Just go ahead and select raise hand. But let's start off um, with Tim. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm not sure I'm convinced either way myself, but I'll, I'll throw this in as something I've been musing on, I'm gonna, uh, which points me in the direction of New Testament because um, I, I, I struggle with this film because I don't really see any characters except Rooster having any kind of arc or changing. Um, and Matty is fascinating in that because she is the lead. She's the, she's telling the story, and yet the version of her we see at the end and the versions that's narrating at the beginning seems very consistent with exactly who she was in the story as well. And maybe there's a meta conversation about we're hearing the story from her point of view. But so so I think that's New Testament because um, she is. Her, her own quest for justice, vengeance, leads her into this pit, which is a hopeless place. And she's bitten by the snake, which is equally hopeless and miserable. And she's going to die. And, that, and I think, Josh, you said in your essay, death leads to more death. That's where it takes you. And yet she's rescued out of the pit. And then she is carried on, on the everlasting arms back. It is saved. And then nothing happens. There's no other signs of redemption. And, and that's very New Testament for me. The offer of grace is right there. You, you can respond to this. Your, your character, yourself, be transformed. Or you could not. And she doesn't seem to change. I uh, Think about how in lots of Jesus' parables, we, we're, we're often left wondering, what happened next to these characters? Like the prodigal son, he comes back as a party what happens next? Does he just go off and repeat the same cycle again? I don't know. I think he, he, it's, it's an option. And, and that's what I see happening with Maddie. The offer of grace is just enormous. And yet it's up to her what she wants to do with it. And so that, that's the New Testament argument for me. I think that really is kind of a, an underplayed question from this movie is, has Maddie been changed by this experience? at all. I, I think, you know, my initial impression is a similar reading to yours, Tim, that bookend that we get of her in middle age. Is there is there a way this is really Rooster's story? And though we start with Maddie uh, and end with her, is it really just a framework up for us in terms of, as you said, Ark, someone who does change over the course, comes to some realization? Um, yeah, I think that's a fascinating question. Uh, all right. Let's move on to Tom. What do you got for us? 
Yeah, I would agree. I would say that up until the point where Maddie actually shoots um, her target, um, I would say it was an Old Testament story. But that turn from when she falls into the pit and then she is rescued by Rooster. And then there's that constant motif, as mentioned before, about that hymn, um, holding on to the everlasting arms, that she is someone who does not trust in providence, right? Mm. She's somebody who takes matters into her own hands, but in her dire hour of need, someone has to come in and, and rescue her. And to me, it almost, I saw parallels with the, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, that here was somebody who was self-righteous, who was legalistic, um, who was unable to save themselves and someone from the outside, someone that she in some ways had a lot of condescension for, you know, comes in and, and uh, is able to, and sacrifices himself really, you know, um, and goes out of his way to, to help her. I like how you describe that. I, I think you said she doesn't trust in Providence or, you know, she, she wants to get her hands on this justice even if she would thinks of it as justice rather than vengeance, like it's going to come by her actions, by her hiring the right guy, by making sure that guy follows the, the process that she believes is according to the letter of the law. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we've referenced it a couple of times already. The use of um, leaning on the everlasting arms here. It's especially interesting in light of our conversation over Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Which also had a lot of spiritual music in it. Mm -hmm. um, I felt, as I think I said, you know, a genuineness in the use of that music in that movie, but there are others who read it as kind of snarky and ironic and the, and the Coens, um, maybe not laughing at it, but using it for comic effect. I don't see how you can um, take in the use of Lean on the Everlasting Arms here as anything but genuine. Uh, I think it's, you know, it would be a bit of a stretch to say that they were trying to um, undermine that sort of him with what happens in this movie, but I don't know. That's just me. All right. I see we've got uh, um, a couple of hands. Catherine, you raised her yours, but you know, you're, you're co your co-host here. You have special privilege. Did you want to add something to what Tom said or? Yeah, I, I guess, well, responding a little bit to both of what was said is I actually think Maddie does change. Um, I think that you, I think like arguing first, personality i think there's only so much i think she just is a very direct person and i feel like that is not going to change so if you're looking for that sort of thing but i think one of the things in talking about leaning on the everlasting arm then is it significant that she loses her arm and her own ability in the future to seek justice or vengeance um in the same way um that she did with um, Cheney. And then I think also too, like relatedly, the fact that she dug Rooster up from a Confederate cemetery and buried him in her family plot and regularly visited him, I think also too, in redeeming his story. Um, I think in the sort of the larger history, you know, related to the Civil War and how, yeah, I just feel like pulling him from that to then burying him, her family plot being like on a hill and elevated. I do think she was changed. I think her personality didn't change, but I think the way in which she like viewed people, her desire to see LaBeouf again, um, I think her communication didn't change. I agree with that. But I do think, I, I, I feel like in her relationship with Rooster, she was changed by that. Um, because I think you don't, you would not digger someone up you would not go visit someone try to visit someone and then dig them up and put them in your family plot if they had no meaning or significance or if there had not been any sort of um value and trust in that relationship and so i think even in the sort of new testament view of that like for us figuring out like what does it look like to be a disciple and what does it look like to be changed like does that mean you know our personalities suddenly have to be very different or you know is it changing how we <laughs> how we view people and i think also too just being a woman in the late 1800s early 1900s and the fact that she doesn't get married and the fact that she takes on the role of taking care of her family um that maybe doesn't allow for this sort of traditional softness quote unquote um and i'm sure growing in like arkansas in that time was not a very 
ideal place to be a young woman. Um, and so I think I would challenge the idea that she does not change at all. I think personality wise, yes, she still is very direct. She's very Maddie, but I do think that relationship with Rooster changed her was, I was going to respond to Tim's comment. Well, and maybe supporting that Catherine too is I've always kind of wondered what to make of the fact that Rooster has died before Maddie can reunite with him. You know, it's, it's such a, a deflating part of the film, at least for me, because I think you do feel that he particularly has moved to this new space and you want to see what is he like now? You know, how has that changed him? And then he's gone. But in the context of what you're saying, maybe that's so that we can register these differences in Maddie. Um, and maybe that does shift it more back to being her story. And we, and I like your point too about, you know, taking it from the Confederate uh, cemetery because there are a couple of references here and there with uh, um, Matt Damon's character about Rooster's involvement in the Civil War, you know, and um, the guilt there might be over that perhaps, or the guilt there should be over some of that involvement. So I think that is connected too. Um, all right, let's, uh, I don't know, is there anything in the chat to any of that, Zachary, we should um, pause for? Otherwise, I can jump to our next uh, speaker. Yeah, no, I think, I think, Tim, I saw you just put these verses of, yeah, what if I to fear? What if I to dread? I want a mission from God. So just more references and kind of pulling in from them, just in terms of just just added notes that are there, which is good. Um, that was, uh, also, is I'm, that some of Maddie's, is that one of Maddie's or line? That sounds yeah, right, I'm right, trying right. to yeah yeah I feel like that is probably from her. Um, and then also I wanted to say Josh for um, I think David can't, uh, doesn't have the raise hand function, so just feel free to rope him in into. Oh great, okay. Groups. Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, and I think Hannah noted uh, somewhere in the chat that the raise hand feature is in the um, reactions. So if you hit reactions, that's where you can find it. But so I don't forget David. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, and jump in right now? Okay, yeah, thank you. I, I guess I don't have an updated version of Zoom. That's probably the problem. But um, the thing that strikes me about True Grit, I'm a huge Cohen fan. This really does feel like a different movie from them, um, being their second remake after The Lady Killers. Um, it, it feels like a really different tone from a lot of their other movies. And... Um, Watching again this past week, uh, I, I just thought of the really famous and common Bible verse, uh, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we're, we're confronted with that at the beginning, where Maddie is narrating and obviously says nothing is free except the grace of God. And then I, I just notice, you know, we're in this world and Maddie's in this world where everything costs something. She's she's bartering, bartering with the funeral home guy about her the tragic death of her father. Um, she witnesses the hanging of these guys who are talking about the things that they have done before they died. And even hiring Rooster costs money that she wants to go get Cheney. And she doesn't care what the beef says about this guy that Cheney killed in Texas. She wants... Cheney to pay for her dad that died. So, I mean, all of that is a, a very Old Testament kind of framework, and it works out that way. And then even Maddie comes to, uh, as other people talked about, the snake pit where she falls back in and gets bitten. But then the the aspect of grace that we see is that that beautiful horseback ride where Rooster, this is outside of his job description. You know, he didn't have to do this. He He takes her and rides her back to get help. And then um, obviously is gone when she wakes up, but that's kind of the the idea that she's confronted with about the grace of God, that the grace of God is free when we live in this world of consequence and wages um, for, for wrongdoing that impact us all. So yeah, the ending is, is interesting to me. Um, I guess I kind of see it as the Coens are not wrapping everything up in a nice faith-based little bow. Um, they still are communicating the hardship and the normalness of life as she continues living her life, not getting married, longing, it seems, for connection, perhaps being lonely because she's longing to reconnect with Rooster and, and Labeef. So, but she still is wrestling with the grace of God, that free gift that is breaking in, as we all are in, in this world that can be bleak and tragic at times. 
but the grace of God is always there for us to, to wrestle with and to think about and to be impacted by. Yeah, thank you, David. That, that's why the Cohen's films are so rich, right? Because there are so many readings and possibilities in each little detail. And that includes the opening quote you referenced from Maddie, nothing is free except the grace of God. You wonder, does she believe that? Or maybe more accurately, what does that mean for her? What does the grace of God mean for her? Did, does Maybe she doesn't believe she can see that in this world based on her own life experiences, you know? Um, and that's why she can say that, but doesn't live into it, at least in the first half of the movie. So, um, all right, Scott, I think you're next. Yeah, so um, in terms of the New Testament, I mean, I think for me, the the pit scene is the moment, and especially the perspective of when she's um, she's down there, she's been bitten, she's calling up, and we look up and we see that that washed out like blown out white up above it's almost like you know you picture you know medieval paintings of of christ's harrowing of hell and stuff like that reaching down into the into the realm of death and it seems like there's some of that but i also think that i was struck and struggling still with what to do with the fact that rooster seems to be the one that is is changed in that moment um and, and as we're talking here one thought that just crossed my mind, and I don't know how it might work out, would be to think about in the kind of big biblical perspective, the story, the the trajectory of Israel as it's framed for us in in Romans, when you have the kind of um, you know, the the vine branches that have been cut off in the olive tree so that you've been able to be um grafted in, whether Maddie is this law figure who's who's pushing for re revenge and whether she stands in, if we're looking at it this way, as sort of like the Israel that has remained hardened so that others can come in. And so Rooster becomes this one who's actually incidentally changed by, you know, almost because of and in spite of her um, just stubbornness in her own ways. And so, you know, and I, I guess I was also struck, and I don't know whether this means old or new, with I think it is the arm that pulls the trigger that is the arm that she loses and, you know, that the the sort of the consequence there as well that happens or the sacrifice that has to come from her that she can move forward she needs to be wounded in order to be able to stay uh alive also a bit of a like a, a what a sword into plowshare metaphor going on there maybe somewhat thanks scott i i think when you said rooster changes in that moment after she falls into the pit it reminds me of david's uh comment about i liked how you said i think it was it's not in rooster's job description to, because very much what we knew know of him before is like he's just there to get the guy by whatever means necessary and move on you know and collect his money so so that is a somewhat out of character moment for him definitely uh Can andy Oh, yeah, go ahead, Catherine. Well, I just wanted to say one thing that Scott, um, your comments made me think of, and I can't remember his name, but it's one of the, the guys when they get to that house and he gets stabbed because he offers information about where Cheney is. And he says, can you tell my brother, who's this like Methodist circuit writer, what happened to me? And he says, I will see him, I think, on the pearly gates or he makes some reference to going to heaven, even though he has chosen a life of crime, as opposed to this brother who has chosen right righteousness. And it made me think that maybe this whole film and like is challenging. What does it mean to accept the grace of God? And what does what is required? It made me think of the scene at the cross where the thief who just says, you know, I'll you know, I believe that you're the son of God. And Jesus says, yeah, today you'll be with me in heaven is. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe for me, it made me think like, well, what is required? What change must be shown? Because I think for me and if, even in rewatching it, it's like shocking that you're like, yeah, I'm going to be in heaven. I'm going to see my Methodist pastor brother there. And when I've chosen a life of crime and but yeah, that it just, I don't know, it brought up this idea of like, what is salvation? What does it mean to accept the grace of God? What is required? Um, once you've done that. That is such a great little throwaway moment when he says that. Um, it's Donald Gleason, actually. Um, I'm not sure if it was one of his first roles, but before he got bigger roles, for sure. And he's so good there. I wanted to work that into the video essay somehow and just, you know, knew it would have made things too long. But I love that moment. All right, Andy, what did you want to add? 
Yeah, so this one I found kind of, I think like a lot of people kind of confounding about the Old Testament, New Testament question. Um, I got a lot of Old Testament vibes from it when I watched it, but, um, you know, the Josh's video essay I thought was very convincing, and especially that moment at the end where Rooster is is writing to take Maddie um, to receive medical care. And, you know, that almost kind of resembled like Jesus carrying the cross, even though Rooster is far from a Christ-like figure throughout the rest of the film. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think Maddie's, like, reverence for the law strikes me as very Old Testament. And even though I agree that she doesn't seem to change uh, super visibly, at least, um, I think her relationship with Labeef does change, but not because either of them necessarily change, but they recognize a commonality. Um, I, I like the part where, you know, he wants to take her to Texas, you know, or he wants to take uh, Cheney to Texas to, you know, because he committed this Texas crime and she wants him to go to Arkansas because he committed this Arkansas crime. And that's like a very important point to both of them. I know there's money involved with Labeef, um, but I think that still that that point of, of law is is important. I almost feel like Labeef represents the Old Testament in a way. Um, I can't quite uh, wrap my head around it, but I feel like there's some must be some kind of symbolism in the fact that his tongue is severed. Um, I don't know what that is, but that just struck me as something that there must be some kind of symbolism in that. Uh, I also found it interesting that he kind of just fades away. Um, and I think the Old Testament vibes, especially in the final moments, just kind of fade away. Uh, so it's like Old Testament up until that point with that horse ride. Um, and then also, and I thought Catherine's point just now about um, the criminals uh, on the cross beside Jesus was really excellent. Um, and that kind of, I felt like this film had a lot of sympathy for the criminals, especially when you get to Ned Pepper. Uh, and I thought he was very uh, human. He was depicted in very human terms. And a line that stuck with me is he said something like, I need a new judge. Um, and I thought that was because she's like, yeah, I could get you a lawyer. And he's like, I think I need a new judge. And I thought that was really interesting. So I don't know. I think my thoughts are kind of confused on it, but that's, uh, <laughs> Oh, that's what I have. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. You're you're working them out. I love it. Um, yeah, Ned's that little line is something like maybe he's been presented as a vile character, but maybe he also has not been served with true justice in the courts in the past as well. Um, who knows what his life has been like, but a line like that makes us wonder. Um, all right, we've got a handful of people to get to yet. Let's move on to Hannah. Yeah, thanks. Um Apologies for any background noise. I'm in a coffee shop, so you might hear Adele singing in the background a little bit. Um, anyway, so yeah, I I really, really enjoy this movie. It's my second watch. Um, it might be the Cohen's funniest movie. I don't know. I just found so many of um, Rooster's lines so funny. Um, when they come across that, uh, I don't know if he's like a hunter or gatherer. I, I wasn't sure about his character, but he just asks, or he just states, like, you're not Lebeef. And just the way he delivers his line just kills me. Um, anyhow, I wasn't really prepared to come to this conversation with a full defense of Maddie's character. But after listening to everyone, I really, really want to shine a light on some of, um, right. like, a different perspective on her. Let's hear it. Um, yeah, so I think it's important to, you know, in order to fairly kind of assess or evaluate her character, I think we need to really take context into consideration here. Just, and um, Catherine mentioned this a little bit, but, you know, as a woman at that time, being her age, I think it was crucial that she came to her interactions, especially with men with a shrewdness that I don't think other characters needed to have. And I wonder a little bit if she had been a man or if she had been a young man, if she would be treated with the same kind of criticism that I think um, is often levied against her. Um, and I think, you know, God, I think celebrates in some way shrewdness. Obviously there's like, that's, that's a, a line I think we need to be careful with. Um, you know, in Luke chapter 16, I think there's, there's a parable about a shrewd, um, it's, it's a master and his um, servant. And God does, I think, 
acknowledge that we live in a broken world and that shrewdness is required, especially for those who are disenfranchised or who are often cast aside, like women in this time, like young people during this time. So I actually really was rooting hard for <laughs> for her character. Um, and while I think it's fair to say that there was, she's young and immature. And I think that she was going after things that were unwise. I also felt like she was worth celebrating. And I think that there's something to the fact that what other people have brought up, like towards the end of her life, there's something to personality. There's something to, yeah, to suffering, you know, losing her father or sounds like her mother may, may have been a little bit incompetent or there wasn't anyone else competent in her life. Um, but she still um, honored Rooster at the end for, for how he cared for her. So I just wanted to, to kind of bring that up because I think there is like a, a, a line to, tr to try and kind of trot, I guess, around living by the law and um, it, and justice uh, in, you know, without grace and then just shrewdness. So for myself, it felt like a New Testament lens was appropriate here. And I love her shrewdness in those negotiations uh, in town with the, <laughs> the horse manager. Um, just for me, some of the funniest moments in the film. Great question. What if Maddie, if that character had been a young boy? And yes, he, the other men probably would have treated him, probably would have mentored him. Like, this is how to handle this situation as a man, rather than what Maddie gets is, you shouldn't even be here, just immediately, right? So um, all points well taken. All right, we have, uh, yeah, Catherine, jump in. No, I was just going to jump in really quick to what Hannah said. I think even would she be treated differently, but also the fact that she had to seek justice in the first place because she's ignored like the local sheriff. And it talked to your point about being in marginalized communities and often not having the same access to the justice system or system to like right wrongs that have happened to you where she, I mean, like, I think his first thing was like, I don't, I'm not dealing with that. And, you know, she's often kind of brushed aside. And so I think even the sense that she has to go on this journey in the first place, I feel like is because, you know, she's a young marginalized woman and they're kind of like, we don't care about what you care about. Yeah, it is funny how the family seems to be kind of disregarded um, after this murder by the town. And you wonder if that's mm -hmm. because there wasn't uh, an older son to kind of, um, you know, get this, the respect that is automatically given. But they do seem to be forgotten if it weren't for Maddie um, taking charge in the way that she does. So it looks like we've um, got four people at least who want to speak yet. So we'll try to get to each of them. Let's start next with um, James, I'm glad to see you're here, James. I know there was a time or two uh, gatherings you weren't able to make it. So it's good to have you here. What did you want to share? Well, first of all, that I'd like to see the, <laughs> I still haven't seen the podcast or uh, the, the recording of um, No Country for Old Men. So, Oh, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up. Thank you. Real quick, because uh, I meant to mention at the top. We're going to hopefully post those tomorrow. So, oh, great. Um, or Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday at the latest, sometime this week. Um, but yeah, John uh, Reeder, our post-production person, has been working and he let me know he's going to have those wrapped up this week. So yeah, that is the No Country for Old Men um, discussion. We'll get that up shortly. So thanks for the reminder, but go ahead. Great, thanks. Um, I'm uh, slowly shifting toward a little bit more New Testament-ish. But uh, anyway, the, I just love, first of all, the Good Samaritan note. That was so, that's, that's really wonderful, uh, whoever, whoever made that thing. And Maddie, um, I don't know if this is a character nuance or what, but she does not use a contradiction or speak an incomplete sentence throughout the whole thing. And that struck me as very, very Old Testamentish because you do not remove a jot or a tittle of the law. They remain even in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, and um, um, then with her dealing with about the horses or whatever, there are no shortcuts whatsoever. She always has to get exactly what she wants. And, and uh, so uh, there is nothing except the contract, but not a contraction throughout the, throughout the whole business. And that struck me as just remarkable. Oh, by the way, Iris DeMent was born in Arkansas. What a genius casting. For, for that song when she sung it at the end, because she has such an incomparable voice. I think she admits that grace is, or she declares there is the grace of God, but it's totally disincarnated 
until in the um, uh, Good Samaritan shows up in the most unusual and ironic form, but she never sees him again. So Grace saves her. I mean, I don't know if the the victim ever saw the the um, you know the Good Samaritan again in Jesus in Jesus parable, but um, she does believe in Grace. I think in some way um, after Rooster helps her, and then though she can't see him again, you know, we've talked about this. She she buries him in her family plot. She she in a reverse thing adopts him into into her family. Um, but and and it struck me that since I'm a old uh, Calvinist, that this was Heidelberg catechism like because um, she she is doing good works in gratitude afterwards, which is question and answer eighty six for people who don't know Heidelberg catechism and everybody should. Um, but it's just a re quite remarkable sort of. Um, change that might finally motivates her, motivates her, even though she loses an arm. It's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but it's not a life for a life in her case, which really struck me because she could have lost her life too, besides knocking off Tom Cheney. Um, and what struck me, nobody's mentioned this before, but Rooster and Rooster and Labeef are both lawmen and all they do is break the law. Uh, maybe this, that's just the ironic um, uh, Cohen brothers, or maybe that was in the book as well. I, I, I don't know. I didn't read the book, but maybe somebody wants to talk about that. If we got enough, got enough time. So thank you. Thanks, James. Um, love the observation about Maddie speaking. That's like a, a granular observation, but I think you're, you're dead on there. That's great. Um, how about you, Jacob? What'd you want to add? Uh, yeah, I think everything that I could have said and more has been said. I think the the opening line of the movie, which you know comes comes at the beginning, but is middle aged. Maddie tells us where the movie is going. Um, it's a the, the opening line is like nothing and nothing is is free except for the grace of God. And so this is a, a story about grace, and it's kind of set in a spectrum that hinges on a, like a death and resurrection of sorts. There's like a a pre resurrection Maddie and a post-resurrection Maddie. And I do think that the the Maddie that comes out of the snake pit is not the same Maddie that goes in. Um, I think just to use a, to use kind of a, a, a very current phrase, like there's a deconstruction going on. I mean, you mentioned that uh, there are lawmen who are constantly breaking the law. I mean, uh, Rooster Cogburn tells Maddie a story of when he committed theft and then he tried to justify it as not theft because he stole from a thief, you know? And so she's learning like, Oh my goodness, they're like the categories are not as black and white as I, I thought they were. And um, yeah, I, I'd not, I'd not thought about until several people have mentioned it here that middle-aged Maddie at the end is just as blunt um, just as, and maybe even more cold uh, than, than young Maddie. And I, and that makes me think of all the, all the lifelong sins that we are, we're just saddled with, you know, but I think what's different for her is that she does understand that there is something free and that it is grace. And um, so, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, like I, I realized watching it this last week that um, I, I feel truly sad from the moment that she falls into the pit to the end of the movie. I feel truly sad. And, um, and I don't know what that is, but, you know, I realized it that this, this last time I watched it, that I was dreading that moment where she came, where she fell into the, the snake pit, because I, I knew that there'd be this overwhelming feeling of sadness that I would feel for the rest of the movie. And I don't know exactly what the source of that sadness is, especially because I am sitting here saying that it's a story about grace and it's a, a New Testament, you know, story. I, I don't know what, I don't know what the source of that sadness that kind of comes over me uh, towards the end of the movie is. But I do ultimately believe that, like, she, she may have had a rough life um, post-resurrection. Um, and I do think that that is the hope that we have in Christ, though, is, like, the worst can happen, but with an understanding of, of the free gift of, of the grace of God, that, that is enough to, to keep us alive. And that is enough to keep us moving forward. So, you know, that, I feel like that is a very Cohen thing. As somebody said it earlier, they refuse to let it be just a very clean cut religious, you know, movie, um, there, the, the Cohen realism is there. Like it is a, a hard life can be a hard life, but there, there is something to keep you moving forward. Um, which that is, that is hopeful, you know, to me, but, yeah. um, I do, I do love it. Yeah. 
this the sadness you mentioned i completely understand i i think that's you know it's part of the deflation i i talked about before when she goes to meet rooster and we once we've seen it once we know that that's not going to end where she thinks it is and i think that's tied in with what you're saying jacob uh makes sense to me um eli did you want to jump in uh yeah yeah i'll be uh i'll be pretty quick um for one, because I see some other hands, and two, because I only got uh, through, I've seen the movie before, but I only got through half of it last night before my eyes got too heavy to to, to keep going. Um, but um, one thing that um, I noticed through the first half of the movie um, is uh, it, it kind of builds on a lot of stuff that people have already said, but um, it it's almost as if, um, as if Maddie and Rooster um, have this a special ability to extend grace to each other um, in ways that they don't with other people. Um, and, um, you know, they, they kind of enter into a sort of contract uh, by word. Um, and I almost wonder if there's sort of like a, a theme of covenant going on there where um, they really um, make the decision to enter into this relationship. Um, they both have, um, innumerable moments where they extend grace to each other uh in a special way whether it's rooster making uh making labeuf like stop spanking her or whether it's her listening to him ramble on um you know telling these awful stories while they're just writing um uh there's even like i think kind of like a very like cute and innocent moment where um you know him and labeuf are going at each other at the campfire and Maddie kind of um, feels really awkward. And it's like, Hey, let me tell a story. Um, and it's <laughs> to break the tension. And it, uh, there, there's all these little moments where they're just extending grace to one another. And it all culminates, you know, in, in rooster saving her in the end. And uh, you know, it's, it's almost that, you know, they've, they each have things to teach each other and they're each, they're each contributing to the transformation of each other the whole movie and you don't see anything huge happen um but you do get those moments through the whole movie um and it, it's almost that uh there's what what seemed like a contract ended up being a covenant that built a friendship um and, and it just reminds me of you know no greater love uh, is there than laying down your life for a friend, which is what Rooster ultimately does, because he does view her as a friend in the end, um, even though they are so different. Um, uh, that them entering into that almost covenantal-like relationship um, allows him to build a friendship with a fourteen-year-old girl as you know a gruff old marshal. Um, and really even her choosing him in the first place is an act of grace, you know? Um, oh, let, let me not pick the best one. Let me pick the meanest one. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. She has, she has uh, definite reasons for that. I think, yeah, we've talked about the trajectory of each character, what their character arc, but you're right, Eli, there's a, uh, there's an arc to that relationship between them. Absolutely. We could follow. All right. Baird is coming to us from the pit. Um, what, what do you have to share, Baird? Oh, a few things, of course. Um, first of all, when I had to decide on my wallpaper, this was the the one shot from the movie. I hadn't seen the movie in years. That was, I wanted to use this, but somehow I wanted to tie this image to the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, where the rich man is in hell looking up and he sees Abraham and Lazarus asking for, you know, just a drop of water to soothe his tongue. And it doesn't work with this because, um, you know, Rooster being the Abraham does pull her up and, and take care of her. So I wish I could make that better. But um, the one transition I only see is with Rooster in um, earlier in the movie where they had to shoot out at night. And there's one man who's been shot and he's uh, he's still living and he's asking Rooster to help her help him. And Rooster says, no, you're going to die. And that's it. He's just going to let him die. Or in case with Maddie, um, he won't let her die, even though he's two days away from a doctor or anyone can help her. He tries to do what he can. Um, and that I think you referred to it, Josh, that 
really kind of dreamlike sequence of the ride and just Rooster having the point of having to do whatever it takes to save her. For whatever reason, uh, Eli liked the idea of the covenant and maybe that's him fulfilling the covenant. Um, the other thing I want to bring up is, you know, I, I, I've been trying to listen to everyone. I still think this is an Old Testament, but, and for me, the only real New Testament pit, bit is the song, Everlasting Arms, which plays over it. And it's, I don't think it's ever heard by any of the characters. I think that's just there overall as through this Old Testament, through these uh, people that are looking for revenge, looking for justice. You know, the aura of grace is out there if they could listen to it and let the, and, and feel that. But it never takes place. You know, Maddie has never changed. She's, she's as cold hearted as she was. Like, you know, she chastises the one guy at the cowboy show for not standing up. So there's still no grace in her. Um, the other thing I wanted to bring up, this is a good one. Um, whoever made the observation that she lost her arm was the same hand she used to shoot the gun made me think of Matthew 530, where if this are, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. And that's about the only New Testament aspect I could put on that. All right. Thank you. And um, as some of us are still trying to decide, I'll just mention quickly, go ahead and vote because we're going to get to Scott here, but we are running out of time. So as soon as Scott's done, I'll um, reveal the results of the poll. And um, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll have a minute to chat about uh, one other topic before we wrap up here. But go ahead and vote in the poll and um, we'll go to Scott. Okay, so um, I haven't seen this since I saw it in the theater when it first came out. Um, and instead of rewatching it last night, I, I watched uh, The Power of the Dog because, you know, I, I had to get ready for Fair today's enough. Westerns. Fair but, enough. Um, so I watched a different Western, which I would argue isn't a Western. But anyway, um, I would love to have the same discussion about The Power of the Dog. Amazing. But um, but with True Grit, it, with it being so far beyond and you know i've been listening to everybody's conversations bringing back parts of the movie that i had forgotten um but to me the the whole end sequence after the pit always it, it seeing it in the movie for the first time it seemed so tacked on and so random like it was it, the journey was about revenge and or justice whichever way you want to see it and then it was like it just seems so convenient that, you know, now she gets punished for her, you know, and, and then, and then he's rushing her to the, you know, to find the hospital. And, and it just, it seemed very much different than the rest of the film. Um, and so I'd have to go back and watch it again to see if I still felt that way. But I remember not liking that as much in the movie. I, I was like, it, it felt like a, you know, a Hollywood ending in the, in the sense of like, yeah, she, of course, she's going to get punished for for this, and then she's going to get saved by him. And um, but for me, what really stood out to me when I first watched it and just listening again, and is is that she lost her dad. And at the beginning of the movie, she seems to not need a dad. Like she's very self sufficient, and she's taking care of business. Um, but we all need a dad, you know. We all need our father in heaven, and. I feel like the relationship that grew between um, between her and uh, I'm, I keep forgetting his name because there's so many names, but um, but anyway, her and her and the and Jeff Bridges, that relationship became like a almost like a father relationship, and he ends up literally carrying her to the hospital at the end, like like a father would, um, not a hired hand, um, and. And, and so, and the fact that she ends up doing the killing, which is what she hired him for in the first place, it was like, she's capable of everything. She's capable of taking care of herself. She's even capable of get, capable of getting the, the justice that, that she was after all on her own. Um, but the fact that she lost her father at the beginning and she kind of regains this father figure at the end or through this relationship, through this journey, I, I just thought that was an interesting take. And I don't know, and, and and I'm kind of agreeing with the New Testament take because of that, not necessarily because of the the weird 
and the, what I felt like was a weird, weird turn at the end. But, um, but it's anyway. funny you say that, Scott, because I it took me a bit to come around after a first viewing of True Grit when it came out as well. I liked it, but I was really wrestling with some of your same concerns. And um, yeah, eventually more thought, more viewings. Um, I, I came around to it more in those areas, but I did have some of the same questions you did. So all to say, um, be sure to watch it again. I think, yeah, I think there's, you'll, yeah, there's you'll some come movies that, it. that if you know where they're going, they're better you know, cause it's like, it just came out of left field. And so, um, it, 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 cause it I think weird. the power of the dog works similarly, honestly. I mean, I loved it the first time, but I think that one is, uh, enriched by further viewings too. So I think we should move to the poll. Zachary, is there anything, um, from, I see the chat's been very active. I haven't been able to keep up with all of it. Unfortunately, I wish I could. But anything um, worth highlighting before we uh, launch the poll here or, or end it at least? Yeah, no, I was going to say I wanted to jump in, but I'm like, I knew we had a lot of people, but I was like, the content was just so good from what people were saying. But <laughs> I know. And then there was, I think, one verse that w was cited that made me think a lot too was the be shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. I think, Lori, you brought up that that verse and just in, in the conversation about, you know, the snakes and the imagery there. And then I think, Hannah, you had brought up a great um, point about the slowness of sanctification that we kind of see in Maddie's character. And also, there's a lot of discussion about could we read what Maddie's shooting Cheney as self-defense or not? And so I think we got a lot of... Interesting oh, interesting. Right so you guys should, if you guys haven't already, scroll through the chat because you'll kind of... It, it, was, it, it made me think a lot about, about that side too. So Yeah, we'll, um, we'll hang on for just a couple of minutes here so people can do that because I know there's a lot of good conversation going on there. As far as the poll, uh, it does look like it was 70% to 30% New Testament. So... Um, I don't remember offhand if I think there was one of the other movies was even closer than this, where we were pretty fairly split. It might have might have been no country, maybe, but it looks like this one most of us uh do consider it to be a New Testament film for whatever that is worth. <laughs> Thanks for voting. Um let's if feel free if you need to to bail, go ahead. But I as we wrap up here. Is there someone who has one question about some other topic um, related to true grit, not related to the Old Testament, New Testament? I hate to kind of pigeonhole it, but we had such good conversation this time. We stuck there. And then while we're doing that, um, if anyone wants to share their Twitter handles in the chat or their letterboxed, if any of you are on letterboxed, um, that's always a good opportunity to kind of build some community. So go ahead and drop your, um, your handles or the links there for those places. And does anyone have one comment, one question related to, I don't know, the bear man or anything else? Catherine, I saw you raise a finger. I don't know yeah, if it's about I the bear man. Say, but. It's not about the bear man, who was a hilarious character. And I quite enjoyed his, I'm a doctor to anyone who will let me practice. Um, just what you want to hear. Yeah, just just what you want to hear from your doctor slash dentist slash medicine man. Um, but I did think Tim asked a really good question in the chat that I think if we could go back to of like a working definition of justice versus vengeance, because I think most of us lean towards Maddie maybe was seeking vengeance more than justice, I think is a I mean, I know we probably don't have time to get into like a full conversation. But I would love to like maybe address that in the a limited time that we have, because um, I think you even brought it up in your video essay. Yeah, um, Tim, do you do you want to just quickly repeat that question, or uh, is it is it too too much for for a couple minutes here? See how far you can get, Josh. <laughs> You're asking me. Yeah, like what is your debt? Like, I think that's a good, maybe a good place to start because I think even in your video essay, you like kind of in setting the framework you talked about, like you felt like she was seeking vengeance more than justice. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll admit I'm being swayed by some of the the conversations here in terms of Maddie and her position, what she was up against. Um, I think it does for me. A lot of it comes down to that conversation about whether or not he can be arrested and taken to Texas or. Um, she wants him brought back because that is following the letter of the law, but it is also to me seems like um, making it very personal. Um, and I think at that point, she's still a figure who is pursuing her own personal vengeance rather than 
God's justice, which to me is putting things to right, holding um, wrong accountable, but towards putting things eventually all to right. And so I think there's maybe, it's just a crucial scene to me. There's maybe some distinction there where um, I, every time I watch it, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm rooting for Maddie too. I mean, I hope like any of the characterization doesn't make people think I'm not on her side. But when she's arguing with him there, I, I have that moment where I'm like, oh, come on. Like, this is, this is, like, this is, this is what's right, is to arrest him and just bring him to justice. But the fact that she wants it particular and personal, I think, is maybe a distinction between the two. I don't know. Does that hold any water with you, Catherine? Yeah, I was going to say to just like piggyback on that. I mean, I think she, the sort of extra to judicial sort of judge, jury, and executioner thing, I'm always leery of when people want to take sort of the law into their own hands. And I think she's right to want justice for her father, but that I think involves going before a judge and, you know, jury, or I'm not really sure what the, how that worked um, during that time period. And I just, I felt like it was very personal about specifically her, her dad. And again, I'll go back to the idea that the fact that she specifically chose Rooster because he's the marshal least likely yes. to like bring his, his sort of bounties in alive is a lot. I mean, that's concerning to me when the sheriff says, well, this guy's actually the best because he always gets his man. And then says these things about Rooster that she considers that an endorsement. And I think, yeah. To me, that speaks to like her desire, you know, I don't know where she lands kind of, it, it seems like to me, even within herself, she's battling. I think that's um, true. But I think her initial sort of four-way on her journey, if we're talking about slow sort of sanctification and transformation, um, I think she initially starts with with vengeance and it, it that to me is very old testament it's sort of an eye for an eye and then it you know to the new testament in the sermon of the mount you have heard it said i feel like i hear that ringing in the back of my head where you know you do have this old testament law that maybe would give her sort of perspective and excuse but i think in moving to the new testament i think jesus calls us up to something higher and i just felt like um yeah so i think in the movie it felt very much like initially at the start of the journey she very much was out for vengeance yeah and i think part of that too is related to the title when she says accuses rooster like they said you have true grit what does she mean by true grit does she mean his his mercy i don't think so i think she means his meanness i think that's what she's referencing i mean it's established in court he killed 20 something men right so um and she sees that as like uh oh an endorsement like, that, like you're the guy <laughs> an endorsement like you're the guy exactly so but there is you know i think zachary mentioned in the chat came up the issue of self-defense in that moment the executioner moment um you know i think that is something to consider is is yeah. this you know smaller teen girl going to really you know hold this guy at gunpoint and and be able to keep him from attacking her again maybe but that seemed you know so i think that's a fair question too again complications abound well and i will just say in maddie's defense in terms of journey i mean my point was like in her initial interaction with him she was like i'm here to arrest you there are marshals here so it seems like she had changed yeah uh, before she felt that's a good point self to reasons to shoot him so i you know i i think where she started is not ultimately where she ended up I for feel. sure. Yeah, for sure. That, yep, that confrontation in the river, she she makes different decisions than she does later when she's more threatened. That's that's true. All right. Well, um, I'm going to take it as like, this was just such a good question. We didn't get to any others about, about True Grit. Clearly, we could have. So thanks for sticking around. Um, Zachary, thank you for monitoring the chat again. If I want to recommend, um, if others haven't read it yet, but Zachary had a great post on thinkchristian.net about After Yang, uh, my favorite movie of the year so far, and Zachary wrote wonderfully about that. So check that out. Catherine, um, if you have not heard her on the podcast yet, I think you're going to want to check out some of our older episodes after hearing her here. She was on most recently to talk about HBO's Insecure, which was a great conversation. So check out the TC podcast for that. Anything else you're up to, Catherine, you want to mention, point folks to? No? No? No, just the podcast on All right, Insecure well, and Batman. Thank, thank you for, yeah, Insecure and Batman we did, but thank you for being with us today. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.
the rest of you um, maybe hopefully are wondering, are there going to be future movie clubs? That is a really good question. We kind of envision this as a trial series to do uh, four films on the Coen brothers. I personally have really enjoyed them. I think the conversations have been incredibly fruitful. I've learned a lot. Hopefully you feel the same. Um, so we're going to step back and assess over at Think Christian with my colleagues at Reframe Ministries and, um, you know, just think about if this should go forward, what it should look like, those sorts of questions. So to help do that, we're going to send out a survey to all movie club members, um, and it would be really helpful if you could respond to that. We try, we'll try not to make it too lengthy, um, but to get obviously what you feel is most important. So what you enjoyed about it, what you would like to see tweaked, how you would like to see it move forward if you um, want to be a part of it again. So we'll send that email out this week. We'll put TC Movie Club in the subject header. So hopefully it will avoid uh, your spam filters. And that's kind of where we are with that so thank you all again enjoy the rest of your sunday if you're going to watch the oscars i hope they are um don't feel long and dull but um relatively brief and exciting so thanks everyone hope to see you again for another movie club gathering down the road <laughs>